Section 22 of Manners, Customs, and Dress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Manners, Customs, and Dress during the Middle Ages and during the Renaissance period by Paul Lacroix. Section 22. The establishment of a central mint for the whole kingdom, the expulsion of the money dealers, who were mostly of Italian origin, and the confiscation of their goods, if it was discovered that they had acted falsely, signalized the accession of Charles Lebel in 1332. This beginning was welcomed as most auspicious. But before long the export duties, especially on grain, wine, hay, cattle, leather, and salt, became a source of legitimate complaint. Philippe the Sixth, surnamed de Valois, a more astute politician than his predecessor, felt the necessity of gaining the affection of the people by sparing their private fortunes. In order to establish the public revenue on a firm basis, he assembled in 1330 the states-general, composed of barons, prelates, and deputies from the principal towns, and then, hoping to awe the financial agents, he authorized the arrest of the overseer, Pierre Montague, whose property was confiscated and sold, producing to the treasury the enormous sum of one million two hundred thousand livres or upwards of one hundred million francs of present currency the long and terrible war which the king was forced to carry on against the english and which ended in the treaty of bretigny in thirteen sixty one gave rise to the introduction of taxation of extreme severity the dues on ecclesiastical properties were renewed and maintained for several years all beverages sold in towns were taxed and from four to six deniers in the pound were levied upon the value of all merchandise sold in any part of the kingdom the salt tax which philippe le bel had established and which his successor louis the tenth immediately abolished at the unanimous wish of the people was again levied by philippe the sixth and this king having caused the salt produced in his domains to be sold gave great offence to all classes of the community it was on account of this that edward the third king of england facetiously called him the author of the salique law philippe de valois when he first ascended the throne coined his money according to the standard weight of st louis but in a short time he more or less alloyed it this he did secretly in order to be able to withdraw the pieces of full weight from circulation and to replace them with others having less pure metal in them and whose weight was made up by an extra amount of alloy in this dishonest way a considerable sum was added to the coffers of the state king john on succeeding his father in thirteen fifty found the treasury empty and the resources of the kingdom exhausted he was nevertheless obliged to provide means to continue the war against the english who continually harassed the french on their own territory the tax on merchandise not being sufficient for this war 
the payment of public debts contracted by the government was suspended and the state was thus obliged to admit its insolvency the mint taxes called seigneuries were pushed to the utmost limits and the king levied them on the new coin which he increased at will by largely alloying the gold with base metals the duties on exported and imported goods were increased notwithstanding the complaints that commerce was declining these financial expediences would not have been tolerated by the people had not the king taken the precaution to have them approved by the states-general of the provincial states which he annually assembled in thirteen fifty five the states-general were convoked and the king who had to maintain thirty thousand soldiers asked them to provide for this annual expenditure estimated at five million livres paris about three hundred million francs of present currency the states-general animated by a generous feeling of patriotism ordered a tax of eight deniers and the pound on the sale and transfer of all goods and articles of merchandise with the exception of inheritances which was to be payable by the vendors of whatever rank they might be whether ecclesiastics nobles or others and also a salt tax to be levied throughout the whole kingdom of france the king promised as long as this assistance lasted to levy no other subsidies and to coin good and sterling money i e denier of fine gold white or silver coin coins of biaw or mixed metals and denier and maya of copper the assembly appointed travelling agents and three inspectors or superintendents who had under them two receivers and a considerable number of sub-collectors whose duties were defined with scrupulous minuteness the king at this time renounced the right of seizing his dues over property inherited or conveyed by sale exchange gift or will his right of demanding war levies by proclamation and of issuing force loans the despotic character of which offended everybody the following year the tax of eight deniers having been found insufficient and expensive in its collection the assembly substituted for it a property and income tax varying according to the property and income of each individual the finances were notwithstanding these additions in a low and unsatisfactory condition which became worse and worse from the fatal day of poitiers when king john fell into the hands of the english the states-general were summoned by the dauphois and seeing the desperate condition in which the country was placed all classes freely opened their purses the nobility who had already given their blood gave the produce of all their feudal dues besides the church paid a tenth and a half and the bourgeois showed the most noble unselfishness and rose as one man to find means to resist the common enemy the ransom of the king had been fixed at three millions of accus d'or nearly a thousand million francs payable in six years and the peace of bretigny was concluded by the cession of a third of the territory of france there was however cause for congratulation in this result for 
France was reduced to its utmost extremity, says a chronicler, and had not something led to a reaction, she must have perished irretrievably. King John, grateful for the love and devotion shown to him by his subjects under these trying circumstances, returned from captivity with the solemn intention of lightening the burdens which pressed upon them, and in consequence he began by spontaneously reducing the enormous wages which the tax-gatherers had hitherto received, and by abolishing the tolls on the highways. He also sold to the Jews at a very high price the right of remaining in the kingdom, and of exercising any trade in it, and by this means he obtained a large sum of money. He solemnly promised never again to debase the coin, and he endeavored to make an equitable division of the taxes. Unfortunately, it was impossible to do without a public revenue, and it was necessary that the royal ransom should be paid off within six years. The people, from whom taxes might be always extorted at pleasure, paid a good share of this, for the fifth of the three millions of excuse de or was realized from the tax on salt the thirteenth part from the duty on the sale of fermented liquors, and twelve deniers per pound from the tax on the value of all provisions sold and resold within the kingdom. Commerce was subjected to a new tax called imposition foreign, a measure most detrimental to the trade and manufacturers of the country, which were continually struggling under the pitiless oppression of the treasury royal despotism was not always able to shelter itself under the sanction of the general and provincial councils and a few provinces which forcibly protested against this excise duty were treated on the same footing as foreign states with relation to the transit of merchandise from them other provinces compounded for this tax and in this way owing to the different arrangements in different places a complicated system of exemption and prohibitions existed which although most prejudicial to all industry remained in force to a great extent until seventeen eighty nine when charles v surnamed the wise ascended the throne in thirteen sixty four france ruined by the disasters of the war by the weight of taxation by the reduction in her commerce and by the want of internal security, exhibited everywhere a picture of misery and desolation, in addition to which famine and various epidemics were constantly breaking out in various parts of the kingdom. Besides this, the country was incessantly overrun by gangs of plunderers, who called themselves Ecosure, Rotia, and Tardvenu, etc., and who were more dreaded by the country people even than the English had been. Charles V, who was celebrated for his justice and for his economical and provident habits, was alone capable of establishing order in the midst of such general confusion. Supported by the vote of the assembly held at Compier, in 1367 he remitted a moiety of the salt tax and diminished the number of treasury agents, reduced their wages, and curtailed their privileges. He inquired into all cases of embezzlement, so as to put a stop to fraud, 
and he insisted that the accounts of the public expenditure in its several departments should be annually audited he protected commerce facilitated exchanges and reduced as far as possible the rates and taxes on woven articles and manufactured goods he permitted jews to hold funded property and invited foreign merchants to trade with the country for the first time he required all gold and silver articles to be stamped and called in all the old gold and silver coins in order that by a new and uniform issue the value of money might no longer be fictitious or variable for more than a century coins had so often changed in name value and standard weight that in an edict of king john we read it was difficult for a man when paying money in the ordinary course to know what he was about from one day to another the recommencement of hostilities between england and france in thirteen seventy unfortunately interrupted the progressive and regular course of these financial improvements the states-general to whom the king was obliged to appeal for assistance in order to carry on the war decided that salt should be taxed one soul per pound wine by wholesale a thirteenth of its value and by retail a fourth that a fouage or hearth tax of six francs should be established in towns and of two francs in the country and that a duty should be levied in walled towns on the entrance of all wine the produce of the salt tax was devoted to the special use of the king each district farmed its excise and its salt tax under the superintendence of clerks appointed by the king who regulated the assessment and the fines and who adjudicated in the first instance in all cases of dispute tax-gatherers were chosen by the inhabitants of each locality but the chief officers of finance four in number were appointed by the king this administrative organization created on a sound basis marked the establishment of a complete financial system the assembly which thus transferred the administration of all matters of taxation from the people at large to the king did not consist of a combination of the three estates but simply of persons of position namely prelates nobles and bourgeois of paris in addition to the leading magistrates of the kingdom the following extract from the accounts of the fifteenth november thirteen seventy two is interesting inasmuch as it represents the actual budget of france under charles v article eighteen assigned for the payment of men-at-arms fifty thousand francs article nineteen for payment of men-at-arms and crossbow-men newly formed forty-two thousand francs article nineteen for sea purposes eight thousand francs article twenty for the king's palace six thousand francs article twenty to place in the king's coffers five thousand francs article twenty one it pleases the king that the receiver-general should have monthly for matters that daily arise in the chamber ten thousand francs article twenty one for the payment of debts ten thousand francs total a hundred and thirty one thousand francs thus for the year one hundred and thirty one thousand francs 
N. Escusador, representing in present money about 12 million francs, were appropriated to the expenses of the state, out of which the sum of 5,000 francs, equal to 275,000 francs of present money, was devoted to what we may call the civil list. On the death of Charles V in 1380, his eldest son Charles, who was a minor, was put under the guardianship of his uncles, and one of these, the Duc d'Anjou, assumed the regency by force. He seized upon the royal treasury, which was concealed in the castle of Moulin, and also upon all the savings of the deceased king, and instead of applying them to alleviate the general burden of taxation, he levied a duty for the first time on the common food of the people. Immediately there arose a general outcry of indignation, and a formidable expression of resistance was made in Paris and in the large towns. Mob orators loudly proclaimed the public right, thus trampled upon by the regent and the king's uncles. The expression of the feeling of the masses began to take the shape of open revolt, when the council of the regency made an appearance of giving way, and new taxes were suppressed, or at all events partially abandoned. The success of the insurrectionary movement, however, caused increased concessions to be demanded by the people. The Jews and the tax collectors were attacked. Some of the latter were hung or assassinated, and their registries torn up, and many of the former were ill-treated and banished, notwithstanding the price they had paid for living in the kingdom. The assembly of the states, which was summoned by the king's uncle to meet in Paris, sided with the people, and in consequence the regent and his brother pretended to acknowledge the justice of the claims which were made upon them in the name of the people, and, on their own withdrawing the taxes, order was for a time restored. No sooner, however, was this the case, than in spite of the solemn promises made by the council of regency, the taxes were suddenly reimposed, and the right of farming them was sold to persons who exacted them in the most brutal manner. A sanguinary revolt, called that of the Mayotas, burst forth in Paris, and the capital remained for some time in the power of the people, or rather of the bourgeois, who led the mob on to act for them. The towns of Rouen, Rim, Trois, Orleans, Blois, and many places in Beauvoir, in Chopang, and in Normandy, followed the example of the Parisians, and it was impossible to say to what a length the revolt would have reached, had it not been for the victory over the Flemish at Rosibia. This victory enabled the king's uncle to re-enter Paris in 1383, and to re-establish the royal authority at the same time, making the Muate and their accomplices pay dearly for their conduct. The excise duties, the hearth tax, the salt tax, and various other imposts, which had been abolished or suspended, were re-established. The taxes on wine, beer, and other fermented liquors was lowered. Bread was taxed twelve deniers per pound, and the duty on salt was fixed at the excessive rate of twenty francs in gold, about 1,200 francs of present money, per hogshead of 60 hundredweight. 
certain concessions and compromises were made exceptionally in favor of Artois, Dauphine, Poitou, and Saintois, in consideration of the voluntary contributions which these provinces had made. Emboldened by the success of their exacting and arbitrary rule, the dukes of Anjou, Burgundy, and Berry, under pretext of requiring money for war expenses, again increased the taxes from the year 1385 to 1388, and the salt tax was raised to forty golden francs, about twenty-four thousand francs of present money per hogshead. The ecclesiastics paid a half ducime to the king, and several ducimes to the pope. But these did not prevent a forced loan being ordered. Happily, Charles the Sixth, about this period, attained his majority and assumed his position as king. And his uncle, the Duke of Bourbon, who was called to the direction of affairs, re-established comparative order in financial matters. But soon after, the king's brother, the Duke of Orleans, seized the reins of government and jointly with his sister-in-law Isabella of Bavaria increased the taxation far beyond that imposed by the duke de Anjou, the duke of burgundy called john the fearless in order to gratify his personal hatred to his cousin louis of orleans made himself the instrument of the strong popular feeling by assassinating that prince as he was returning from an entertainment the tragical death of the duke of orleans no more alleviated the ills of france than did that of the duke of burgundy sixteen years later for he in his turn was the victim of a conspiracy and was assassinated on the bridge of montau in the presence of the dauphin the marriage of isabel of france with the young king richard of england the ransom of the christian prisoners in the east the money required by the emperor of constantinople to stop the invasion of the Turks into Europe, the pay of the French army, which was now permanent, each necessarily required fresh subsidies, and money had to be raised in some way or other from the French people. Distress was at its height, and though the people were groaning under oppression, they continued to pay not only the increased taxes on provisions and merchandise, and an additional general tax, but to submit to the most outrageous confiscations and robbery of the public money from the public treasuries. The state assemblies held at Auxerre in Paris in 1412 and 1413 denounced the extravagance and maladministration of the treasurers, the generals, the excise men, the receivers of royal dues, and of all those who took part in the direction of the finances though they nevertheless voted the taxes and promulgated most severe regulations with respect to their collection to meet emergencies which were now becoming chronic extraordinary taxes were established the non-payment of which involved the immediate imprisonment of the defaulter and the debasement of the coinage and the alienation of certain parts of the kingdom were authorized in the name of the king who had been insane for more than fifteen years the incessant revolts of the bourgeois the reappearance of the english on the soil of france the ambitious rivalry 
of Queen Isabella of Bavaria, leagued with the Duke of Burgundy against the Dauphin, who had been made regent at last in 1420, brought about the humiliating treaty of Tours, by which Henry V, King of England, was to become King of France on the death of Charles VI. The Treaty of Tours became the cause of, and the pretext for, a vast amount of extortion being practiced upon the unfortunate inhabitants of the conquered country. Henry V, who had already made several exactions from Normandy, before he had obtained by force the throne of France, did not spare the other provinces, and whilst proclaiming his good intentions towards his future subjects, he added a new general impost in the shape of a forced loan to the taxes which already weighed so heavily on the people he also issued a new coinage maintained many of the taxes especially those on salt and on liquors even after he had announced his intention of abolishing them at the same time the dauphin charles surname wadibouge because he had retired with his court and retinue into the centre of the kingdom was sadly in want of money he alienated the state revenues he levied excise duties and subsidies in the provinces which remained faithful to his cause and he borrowed largely from those members of the church and the nobility who manifested a generous pity for the sad destiny of the king and the monarchy many persons however instead of sacrificing themselves for their king and country made conditions with him taking advantage of his position the heir to the throne was obliged in many points to give way either to a noble whose services he bargained for or to a town or an abbey whose aid he sought at times he bought over influential bodies such as universities and other corporations by granting exemptions from or privileges in matters of taxation etc so much was this the case that it may be said that charles the seventh treated by private contract for the recovery of the inheritance of his fathers the towns of paris and rouen as well as the provinces of Brittany, languedoc normandy and Guyenne, only returned to their allegiance to the king on conditions more or less advantageous to themselves Burgundy, picardy and flande which were removed from the kingdom of charles the seventh at the treaty of peace of alra in fourteen thirty five cordially adopted the financial system inaugurated by the duke of burgundy philippe the good charles the seventh reconquered his kingdom by a good and wise policy as much as by arms he doubtless had cause to be thankful for the valor and devotion of his officers but he principally owed the success of his cause to one man namely his treasurer the famous jacques coeur who possessed the faculty of always supplying money to his master and at the same time of enriching himself thus it was that charles the seventh whose finances had been restored by the genius of jacques coeur was at last able to re-enter his capital triumphantly, to emancipate Gaine, Normandy, and the banks of the Loire from the English yoke, to reattach to the crown a portion of its former possessions, or to open the way for their early return. 
to remove bold usurpers from high places in the state and to bring about a real alleviation of those evils which his subjects had so courageously borne he suppressed the fraud and extortion carried on under the name of justice put a stop to the sale of offices abolished a number of rates illegally levied required that the receiver's account should be sent in biannually and whilst regulating the taxation he devoted his proceeds entirely to the maintenance and pay of the army from that time taxation once feudal and arbitrary became a fixed royal due which was the surest means of preventing the pillage and the excesses of the soldiery to which the country people had been subjected for many years important triumphs of freedom were thus obtained over the tyrannical supremacy of the great vassals but in the midst of all this improvement we cannot but regret that the assessors who from the time of their creation by st louis had been elected by the towns or the corporations now became the nominees of the crown philippe the good duke of burgundy taxed his subjects but little therefore says philippe de comines they became very wealthy and lived in much comfort but louis the eleventh did not imitate him his first care was to reinstate that great merchant that clever financier jacques coeur to whom as much as to joan of arc the kingdom owed its freedom and whom charles the seventh for the most contemptible reasons had had the weakness to allow to be judicially condemned louis the eleventh would have been very glad to entrust the care of his finances to another jacques coeur for being sadly in want of money he ran through his father's earnings and to refill his coffers he increased taxation imposed a duty on the importation of wines and levied a tax on those holding offices etc a revolution broke out in consequence which was only quenched in the blood of the insurgents in this manner he continued by force of arms to increase and strengthen his own regal power at the expense of feudalism he soon found himself opposed by the ligue du bien public formed by the great vassals ostensibly to get rid of the pecuniary burden which oppressed the people but really with the secret intention of restoring feudalism and lessening the king's power he was not powerful enough openly to resist this and appeared to give way by allowing the league de nobles immense privileges and himself consenting to the control of a sort of council of thirty-six notables appointed to superintend matters of finance far from acknowledging himself vanquished however he immediately set to work to cause division among his enemies so as to be able to overcome them he accordingly showed favor towards the bourgeois whom he had already flattered by granting new privileges and abolishing or reducing certain vexatious taxes of which they complained the thirty-six nobles appointed to control his financial management reformed nothing they were timid and docile under the cunning eye of the king and practically assisted him in his designs 
for in a very few years the taxes were increased from one million eight hundred thousand acres about forty five million francs of present money to three million six hundred thousand acres about ninety five million francs towards the end of the reign they exceeded four million seven hundred thousand acres one hundred and thirty million francs of present money louis the eleventh wasted nothing on luxury and pleasure he lived parsimoniously but he maintained one hundred and ten thousand men under arms and was ready to make the greatest sacrifices whenever there was a necessity for augmenting the territory of the kingdom or for establishing national unity at his death on the twenty fifth of august fourteen eighty three he left a kingdom considerably increased in area but financially almost ruined when anne de Beaujeu, eldest sister of the king who was a minor assumed the reins of government as regent an immediate demand was made for reparation of the evils to which the finance ministers had subjected the unfortunate people the treasurer-general olivier ladal and the attorney-general jean de Yaw, were almost immediately sacrificed to popular resentment six thousand swiss were subsidized the pensions granted during the previous reign were cancelled and a fourth part of the taxes was removed public opinion being thus satisfied the states-general assembled the bourgeois here showed great practical good sense especially in matters of finance they proved clearly that the assessment was illegal and that the accounts were fictitious inasmuch as the latter only showed one million six hundred and fifty thousand livres of subsidies whereas they amounted to three times as much it was satisfactorily established that the excise the salt tax and the revenues of the public lands amply sufficed for the wants of the country and the crown the young king charles was only allowed one million two hundred thousand livres for his private purse for two years and three hundred thousand livres for the expenses of the festivities of his coronation on the assembly being dissolved the queen regent found ample means of pleasing the bourgeois and the people generally by breaking through the engagement she had entered into in the king's name by remitting taxation and finally by force of arms destroying the power of the last remaining vassals of the crown charles the eighth during a reign of fourteen years continued to waste the public money his disastrous expedition for the conquest of the kingdom of naples forced him to borrow at the rate of forty-two per cent a short time previous to his death he acknowledged his errors but continued to spend money without consideration or restraint in all kinds of extravagances but especially in buildings during his reign the annual expenditure almost invariably doubled the revenue in fourteen ninety two it reached seven million three hundred thousand francs about two hundred and forty four million francs of present money the deficit was made up each year by a general tax which was paid neither by the nobles nor the church but was obtained entirely from the people when the duke of orleans ascended the throne as louis the twelfth the people were again treated with some consideration 
having chosen George de Ambois as premier, and Florimond Robert as first secretary of the treasury, he resolutely pursued a course of strict economy. He refused to demand of his subjects the usual tax for celebrating the joyous cessation. The taxes fell by successive reductions to the sum of 2,600,000 livres, about 76 million francs of present money. The salt tax was entirely abolished, and the question as to what should be the standard measure of this important article was legislated upon. The tax-gatherers were forced to reside in their respective districts and to submit their registries to the royal commissioners before beginning to collect the tax. By strict discipline, pillage by soldiers was put a stop to. Notwithstanding the resources obtained by the king through mortgaging a part of the royal domains, and in spite of the excellent administration of Robert, who almost always managed to pay the public deficit without any additional tax, it was necessary in 1513, after several disastrous expeditions to Italy, to borrow, on the security of the royal domains, 400,000 livres, 10 million francs of present money, and to raise from the excise and from other dues and taxes the sum of 3,300,000 livres, about 80 million francs of present money. This caused the nation some distress, but it was only temporary and was not much felt for commerce, both domestic and foreign, much extended at the same time and the sale of collectorships, of titles of nobility, of places in Parliament, and of nominations to numerous judicial offices, brought in considerable sums to the Treasury. The higher classes surnamed the King Loantilier because he was sickly and of small stature, parsimonious and economical. The people called him their father and master, and he has always been styled the father of the people ever since. In an administrative and financial point of view, the reign of Francis I was not at all a period of revival or of progress. The commencement of a sounder system of finance is rather to be dated from that of Charles V, and good financial organization is associated with the names of Jacques Coeur, Philippe the Good, Charles XI, and Florimond Robert. As an example of this, it may be stated that financiers of that time established taxes on registration of all kinds, also on stamps, and on sales, which did not before exist in France, and which were borrowed from the Roman emperors. We must also give them the credit of having first commenced a public debt, under the name of Rentes Perpetuelles, which at that time realized 8%. During this brilliant and yet disastrous reign, the additional taxes were enormous, and the sale of offices produced such a large revenue that the post of parliamentary council realized the sum of 2,000 golden acus, or nearly a million francs of present currency. It was necessary to obtain money at any price, and from any one who would lend it. The ecclesiastics, the nobility, the bourgeois, all gave up their plate and their jewels to furnish the mint, which continued to coin money of every description, and in consequence of the discovery of America, 
and the working of the gold and silver mines in that country, the precious metals poured into the hands of the money changers. The country, however, was none the more prosperous, and the people often were in want of even the commonest necessities of life. The king and the court swallowed up everything, and consumed all of the resources of the country on their own luxury and their wars. The towns, the monasteries, and the corporations were bound to furnish a certain number of troops, either infantry or cavalry. By the establishment of a lottery and a bank of deposit, by the monopoly of the mines, and by the taxes on imports, exports, and manufactured articles, enormous sums were realized to the treasury, which, as it was being continually drained, required to be as continually replenished. Francis I exhausted every source of credit by his luxury, his caprices, and his wars. Jean de Bone, Baron Semblanquet, the old minister of finance, died a victim to false accusations of having misappropriated the public funds. Lauberet, who was in office with him, and William Beauchatel, who succeeded him, were more fortunate. They so managed the treasury business that, without meeting with any legal difficulties, they were enabled to centralize the responsibility in themselves instead of having it distributed over sixteen branches in all parts of the kingdom, a system which has continued to our day. In those days the office of superintendent of finance was usually only a short and rapid road to the gibbet of Montfaucon. End of section 22. Recording by Jim Clevenger, Little Rock, Arkansas. Jim at jocclev.com.